Let's pray. Father, You are so good to us. You have given us a Savior who has loved us even to the point of shedding His own blood and taking on the wrath of God in our place. As we have read uh, now Your Word and as we have the privilege of hearing it uh, expounded, I pray for Your grace for me as I preach and for Your hearers that uh, we might all uh, see the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ in its abundance. We ask in His name. Amen. Well, in this passage, uh, as you just heard it read, it contains this account of the disciples catching a hundred and fifty-three fish. So today I wore my fish tie. It's actually, I think, a bunch of uh, whales on it, but for my purposes this morning, they're going to be fish. And uh, as I was um, in my office this morning, I thought, well, that's a lot of fish on here. I wonder how close it gets to 153. So I started counting this morning, and I got up to about here where I could see, and I stopped counting, and I was at 141. So it's pretty close if if you counted the the triangle and everything else. Um, what does that mean? Not a whole lot, <laughs> except that uh, this passage is exciting as we see the abundance. Of, of our God. I guess it would, um, or I guess that um, most of us have thought about what it would be like to have been one of Jesus' disciples, to live with Him while He was uh, performing these miracles, while He was uh, giving His his great wisdom through his sermons uh, and by experiencing his compassion. That would have, you know, I'm, I'm sure all of us have thought about, wow, that must have been really neat. You know, but as wonderful as it might have been to have lived with Jesus while he was walking on earth, I think for these disciples, seeing the resurrected Lord must have exceeded those those experiences by far. Jesus appeared to His disciples on the evening of the resurrection, and then He appeared to them a week later. Remember, He appeared to uh, and spoke to doubting Thomas. And uh, those were the first two appearances. This morning, we're going to see the third appearance of the Lord Jesus to His disciples. But you can just imagine after Jesus appeared to the disciples in the, the locked upper room, when He appeared to, to Thomas, uh, they were very scared of the Jewish authorities. They, it, the Scripture says on the first day of the week, or rather on the resurrection day, the doors were locked. They were, they were locked up tight. And then again, a week later, the doors were locked up tight. And after Jesus appeared to them, they must have become more confident because they left their 
room in Jerusalem and they traveled to the more familiar surroundings of Galilee. And most of the disciples were from Galilee. It was approximately an 80-mile walk from Jerusalem up to Galilee. You know, as they walked, I can hear the joy in their voices as they talked about Christ as they traveled along those dusty roads. Surely, they discussed the teachings of their Lord as they traveled up to Galilee. And they did so with increasing insight because now they understood the resurrection. Several things that Jesus taught them while He was with them on earth prior to His death and His resurrection. The disciples were walking away scratching their head and wondering, what does He really mean by that? But now that they've seen the resurrected Lord, Things are beginning to fall into place. They're beginning to make connections that they had not seen before. And things in the Old Testament that they had learned from their youth are now beginning to have a new clarity. And they're beginning to see more and more uh, with greater insight the true glory of their Savior, Jesus Christ. These men experienced the ministry of Christ with a front row seat. They got to see Him turn the few loaves of bread and the fish uh, into a feast that fed 5,000. They got to see Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. They got to see Him cast out evil spirits. They got to see Him heal the sick. And then after Pentecost, these men literally changed the whole course of human history. We are sitting in this room this morning. We are sitting here with Bibles in our hands because of these disciples. But yet, I am confident that the days with Jesus while He walked on earth and the days following Pentecost when they went out and preached, that those days paled in comparison to those days immediately following the resurrection of Jesus Christ when they began to fully understand who He was and what He came to do. Their joy was surely unspeakable and complete. Their Savior was alive. Their Savior could not be contained by death. The implication of it all was their Savior was God Almighty. After these disciples arrived in Galilee, Peter, being Peter, he couldn't sit still. He announced to the others that he was going fishing. He had too much nervous energy, I would suppose. Plus, he was a fisherman by trade. They probably needed some money. So he's going to go fishing. He doesn't ask the other disciples. He simply announces he's going fishing. The other disciples said to him, Okay, we will go with you. They went out at night. They fished all night. And they caught nothing. I love fishing. I grew up with a pond on our property, about an acre big um, pond. And uh, I had two larger lakes across the road. 
few things are more exciting than the feeling uh, of a sudden tongue, uh, uh, the sudden tug upon the fishing rod as a largemouth bass bites your hook. But as exciting as that is, it is one of the one of life's most frustrating things when you go out. You've been looking forward to fishing. You make time and you get everything all ready, and you go out and you don't even get a single bite. We go up to my parents' house each Thanksgiving and you've heard about how we go, we shoot the shotguns for several hours, shoot about 500 rounds of of ammunition, we play football and all these things. Well, also one of the things that I do every time we go up to my parents' house is I get up real early, at least one morning, and I plan on every morning, but the last five years I've gone at least one morning, early in the morning, it's cold typically, and I go out and I go fishing. And the reason I only go once is because I'm so discouraged uh, after not catching anything, not even getting a nibble, that I give up for the rest of the week. So anyway, um, the last several years have been a complete zero. I don't think for the last five years I have caught anything. As I studied this passage, I came to the conclusion that Jesus has a uh, different um, agenda here than simply um, making the disciples have a successful fishing trip. I think what He did uh, here is He providentially prevented the disciples from catching any fish that night to teach them and also to teach us about the church's pattern in evangelism. Why do I say that? Well, you will remember that many of Jesus' disciples were fishermen. In fact, Jesus called them away from their nets to make them not fishers of fishes, but fishers of men. Listen to Matthew 4. While walking by the sea, or while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. I think this frustrating night on the Sea of Galilee, which is also called the Sea of Tiberias, which is uh, the way it's identified in, in John 21, it was another lesson from the Lord Jesus on the art of man fishing. There are several lessons that Jesus was teaching His disciples that I think will be helpful for us to learn as well. First of all, evangelism is a primary ministry of the church. It is not optional. Evangelism does not become a necessary activity only when the pews are empty and the offering plates need to be filled. The primary call of Jesus for the disciples to follow Him was a call to become fishers of men. It was the call to become evangelists. It was their primary calling and it must be ours as a congregation as well. And I've said several times and I will repeat it now 
But I am so proud of how our congregation, uh, how our Westminster Presbyterian Church is growing in this responsibility in, evan- in evangelism. You know, I get to hear the many ways that... Uh, Many of you are out in the community sharing the gospel with your neighbor. I get to hear some of those stories. I get to hear stories um, of uh, sharing the Lord Jesus Christ in your workplace and also within your extended family. I heard a story just this morning uh, of uh, one person in our congregation who has an unbelieving family member. And we've been praying for this person. And this person who's an unbeliever went to Starbucks the other day. And there were all the seats were taken except for these two seats apparently by uh, two people. And this person, when they sat down, didn't realize that the person sitting next to them had their Bible open and they were having a Bible discussion, as I understand it. And um, that person with the Bible open was Jimbo. <laughs> and so this person sat down and they began... Jimbo didn't know I'd, I'd heard this story. But uh, they began talking about the Lord. And uh, it's just great to see um, all the different ways that the Lord is using our congregation to... Um, to, to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ here in our community. But you might be saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing some evangelism. I'm throwing the hook in the water, uh, but I'm not seeing much results. I think this is another lesson that the Lord Jesus was teaching. He providentially hindered the disciples from catching any fish all night long. We toil. We give ourselves away for the sake of the Gospel. But we see little or no results sometimes. And it's tempting to give up. But the question that God is asking us during those times that we're not seeing very many results is, will you give up? Are we going to be obedient only when we are seeing results? In other words, God is asking us if His priorities will continue to be our priorities even when we are not getting the results that we'd like to see. If we get discouraged and we give up, then it will be apparent that we were really only serving our own priorities rather than the Lord. So the question is, is God our priority? Or are we and our desires our priority? Another lesson that the Lord Jesus is teaching here is that it is Jesus Christ alone who makes our evangelism effective. The disciples, they were professional fishermen. They knew what the best times would be to go and catch fish. Uh, They knew just where to drop the net. They knew how to handle the net. They fished for a living, but they were unable to catch anything the whole night. Not one miserable fish. Without without Christ, the church can do nothing. Without the Lord Jesus Christ, our efforts at evangelism will certainly be a big fat zero. 
we are absolutely dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so excited about our Wednesday morning prayer meetings. We've been praying faithfully for, what, nine months? Five in the morning to six in the morning, and then from 6.30 in the morning to 7.30 in the morning. And we won't give up, and we won't let our evangel or our enthusiasm grow weak. We won't let our faithfulness decline. Because God will bring a harvest. He is the one who is ultimately responsible. So the disciples, they're out there toiling away. They haven't caught one fish, and all of a sudden they hear someone yelling to them. They didn't realize it was Jesus. He was about a hundred yards away, standing on the shore. He called out to them, Children, do you have any fish? And then He calls out to them, He says, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. They can't tell this is Jesus, but they obey anyway. And it was a great haul. And of course, at this, John remembers another time when the Lord Jesus was calling him to be a fisher of men. And he makes the connection. And he says, it's the Lord. And Peter, being Peter, when he hears that, he jumps immediately into the water. I guess he, he puts a little cloak over himself. or um, And jumps into the, to the sea and starts swimming to shore. He's a hundred yards out. That's an interesting response on Peter's part. Because the first time that Jesus did a miracle with the fish, Peter had the opposite reaction. Listen to this from, uh, from Luke chapter 5. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land because Jesus is going to teach. And so he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. So this is another zero. Um, early in, very, very early in Jesus' ministry to the disciples. He said, But at your word, Peter said, But at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had followed, sorry, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Remarkable contrast. Jesus at the very first part, I mean, sorry, Peter at the very first part of his ministry, when he sees the miracle of the catch of fish, he says, Depart from me, I'm sinful. But then, after seeing his resurrected Savior, he jumps in the water to go swim and, and get to him as fast as he possibly can. 
He's responding as a child of the Savior. He's responding as one who has come to understand that Jesus loved him so much that He went to the cross and died for his sins and gloriously rose for His justification. And finally the others arrived. Verse 8, the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land but about a hundred yards off. What we learn here is that it is Christ and Christ alone who gives the increase. They fished all night, came up with a zero. Jesus says, cast on the other side of the boat and they uh, hauled up so many fish that... um, they would have thought that the nets would have broken. You know, I've been on fishing trips that were just awful. I mentioned uh, how frustrating it can be. I can remember being a teenager and we had planned to go to uh, spend the night on the Chattahoochee River and uh, catch some catfish. So we were going to do some bottom fishing for the catfish. And my friend's dad did not bring any food along except for a little bit of snacks because he said we're going to catch our dinner. The whole night, the next morning, we caught nothing. And I was maybe 14 or 15 at the time. I can still remember the, uh, the misery. But you know what? That's also what makes the big halls really memorable. I can remember sneaking into the city reservoir. We went across the pastures and through woods and we went and we um, camped out, uh, me and some of my friends when we were 16 or 17. Nobody fished in that lake and it was well stocked. It was great. And then I also remember a guy that uh, my roommate and I led to Christ, and he says, "You know, my he and he knew we loved to fish, and he uh, said my my dad has a farm, he stocked it like 20 years ago. Nobody ever fishes. We went out there and fished. At the end of the day, my arms um, here uh, cramped up and 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 seized up because I had, I was setting the hook all day long." We caught a six-pounder that day. We caught two four-pounders. We caught like 60 or 70 bass that were a pound and a half to three pounds uh, during that day. Very memorable. Why does it mention 153? And I think there's nothing magical about the number, nothing sacred about 153, nothing symbolic it simply means that they were so amazed at the count of uh, uh, the catch of fish that they counted uh, how many they had brought ashore, and they were able to 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 remember it um, when John wrote his gospel. It was memorable. Two or three other things, and then I need to quit. First of all, verse twelve. Um, I don't really know where this fits in, but I think it's helpful. I think it's one of those questions that you would be asking. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. And so they knew it was the Lord. They There was something familiar about the Lord Jesus, but also something unfamiliar. Um, Jesus and His resurrected body, it seems as if there's something a little unfamiliar even though it's, He's very familiar to them. And I think one of the things that this teaches us is that we should expect 
that when we receive our glorified bodies, we won't look exactly like we do here on earth, but yet we'll be recognizable by each other. We will be essentially who we are, only perfect. And, um, and yet something a little different. I don't really know what that means, but I think that um, that should guide us as we think about what, what awaits us. And then secondly, verses 8 and 9. I'm sorry, uh, verses 9 and 10. When they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. In other words, our work for the Lord Jesus Christ has value. He had fish already baking. He had bread already laid out. But He said to the disciples, Bring some of the fish you have caught. It's very easy for us to to think, well, the Lord's doing what He's going to do and uh, this life doesn't have as much value. And I think very subtly, He's making a very powerful point when He tells them, bring some of the fish you have caught. Our work that we do for Jesus Christ, our service for Him and His kingdom has value to the Lord Jesus Christ. To conclude... We toil in our evangelism in obedience and in trust that God will bring the increase. And all things are in the sovereign hands of Jesus. He's the one. The increase is in His hands. We work, we toil, we strategize, but ultimately the increase is in His hands. Our church is in His hands. Our lives are in His hands. His timing will never ever be completely understood by us. We can never predict what the Lord Jesus is going to do, but everything He does is always good. Whether it's slow efforts in evangelism, whether it's trials that we are going through, it is always good even if we don't understand what He is doing. And then lastly, Jesus is serious about bringing in the full number of people into His kingdom. It may appear slow at times, but He's at work. He's at work even as we are working. And He is bringing in an abundance. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the grace of our Lord Jesus and for the abundance that we have in Him, for we have a full and complete salvation. And we look forward to Him bringing in all the nations uh, for uh, all peoples, all His elect, to give Him the glory. We ask in His name. Amen.